And it's Jameson Fink with another episode of Wine Without Worry. And uh, part of what I do, part of what I love to do is go out to eat. I'm fortunate to go to a lot of restaurants and uh, try a lot of new dishes and things. It's one of my one of life's pleasures in, in my mind. And I'm always curious about um, uh, wine lists and wine service and, you know, my little uh, pet peeves or things that add or detract to wine service. But... Um, one of the things I also wonder about is for a uh, someone assessing a restaurant critically and professionally, how much do, do things like wine matter? Uh, does it matter more if you're at a you know sort of like chateau fancy pants type of restaurant? Does it matter if you're at a your neighborhood French bistro? Does it matter if you're at a chain restaurant and not just wine but beer, cocktails, uh, the whole beverage service part of the equation? So. Um, I'm fortunate enough to know Hannah Raskin. She is the food writer and critic for the Charleston, South Carolina Post and Courier. And uh, this is what she does. This is a big part of what she does is talk about restaurants and food. And um, Hannah, so thanks for being on the show. And my first question is kind of what I was alluding to is how important to you when when you're in a restaurant that you're reviewing uh, is the wine service? Is it like a, a significant percentage of, of uh, part of the, how how big is a deal is it? I think it's really important, and not just because obviously wine is supposed to enhance food, so you need to have uh, those things together, but because it's one of the best ways to kind of zone in on how well the staff is trained. Um, I think you can always tell, you know, if you ask the staff to about any dish on the menu, as long as they've carried it out of the past, they can BS about it. I mean, they can say it's creamy or it's red or whatever. Um, but it's red is about all you can say about a bottle of wine that you haven't drunk um, or been educated on. So it really gives me a good sense as to how much time management has spent uh, in training their staff. That's a good point. I never really think of that. I guess it's a lot easier with people. I mean, just if you ask someone to describe macaroni and cheese, it's a lot easier than describing uh, a Cote de Rhone that they just recently drank. Right, 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 right. I mean, there's just, I think, I find that wine descriptions are a whole lot harder to fake. Either you drink it or you didn't. Yeah, it, I guess it becomes pretty apparent uh, right away. And uh, yeah, I guess it, I guess it's sort of a window into um, sort of uh, how how well a staff is being educated. And when you go to, does it matter more, say, like, I mean, you know, you uh, you lived in Seattle for a while. Let's take a, a famous fancy restaurant there like Canlis versus, you know, a very formal restaurant where actually in Seattle men might actually put on a coat and tie versus more of your kind of bistro by the glass place like um, like Pichet, Le Pichet, which is also in Seattle. Um, is it? Do you judge it on different levels in two places like that? No, I really don't um, because I'm bringing the same expectations to every restaurant. Uh, maybe not every restaurant. I had a Delta voucher to eat at TGI Fridays the other night. And I will say I, I cut that guy a little slack. on the <laughs> Like that's, that's a little different. But for the most part, I mean, it, no, my expectations, that's a great question because my expectations for food do often vary. But for wine, they don't because um, it's in some ways, it's a hell of a lot easier than food. I mean, you, you know, you can you don't need someone to make it, you know, it's all accessible. And so it's all you have to do is drink it, you know? So in some ways, yeah, uh, what I expect, no matter what level of restaurant is that they're going to listen to me and what I want and try and connect me with the right wine. That's always my expectation. Mm -hmm. And is it something where also, you know, restaurant, the 
you know, the, there are now documentaries about sommeliers. Sommeliers mm-hmm. are becoming, you know, pretty famous in their own right in a lot of restaurants, especially uh, on the East Coast, like in New York and here in Seattle, too, and, and San Francisco. Is, um, is that something where uh, you want a, uh, a dedicated sommelier to help you, or would it be just as equally helpful to have, you know, a, well, a well-trained staff trained by a sommelier or a manager? Is that a, is that a factor? That's a good question. I mean, it's not like I'm collecting sommelier baseball cards or anything. I don't <laughs> find that, you know, it really matters necessarily. Um, I, I mean, you know, if you pass those exams, obviously you've proven a certain level of knowledge that maybe the guy who just worked his way up from dishwasher doesn't necessarily have. But, you know, if you've tasted the wine, if you love the wine, um, that works for me. I, I don't necessarily need a, a trained sommelier. I'm and I'm looking forward to uh, on, in my stocking having those Somalia uh, baseball cards. I've been co- I've been co- <laughs> been coveting them. I hope I get the Michael Madrigal. That's the one I'm getting. And it probably comes with instead of a piece of gum, it comes with like teeth whitener or something. Right, 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 right. Um, so Hannah, we met when you were in Seattle, and um, now you know you were in the land of rain and Dungeness crab and. Um, uh, you know, all kinds of iconic things. Uh, and now you've, uh, on the, completely on the opposite coast of Charleston. What, what's different, uh, food wise from Seattle to Charleston? Was it a bit of a, you know, sort of food culture shock or, or did you just kind of like, you know, naturally ease right into your new surroundings? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I had some practice being in the South. I'd been in uh, Asheville, North Carolina for a while, so it wasn't a total culture shock. Um, but the food is different. The food is definitely different. I remember um, I had a chance to have dinner with uh, Alicia Vermillion from Seattle like two weeks after I got here. So it was a really nice opportunity to be like, isn't this strange? And what was strangest to me is um, how gorgeous the presentation here is. Um, I really feel like in Seattle, and it's, it's just a different aesthetic, and I don't want to say it's any worse, but you know, it's even if the food wasn't foraged, I often feel like the diner's supposed to feel like they just came upon it in the woods, like it's just kind of all over the place. Everything here is just so refined, you know, and that, I mean, that probably fits into a lot of stereotypes, but, you know, everything is perfectly placed on your plate. That's funny. I remember reading something, I think it might have been about um, Julia Child, who really didn't care for that uh, very composed thing, because she felt like it meant like people were touching her food a lot, you know, like... oh. But now, but now everyone has all those tweezers and specialized equipment, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's interesting. I mean, presentation is such a big thing in Charleston. This even happened, I mean, just to take it out of the restaurant realm for a moment, um, when I first hired a cleaning service here, I came home, and I couldn't find any of my belongings, like nothing. Like, I couldn't find my toothbrush. Like, mm. And, I mean, it took 15 minutes to, you know, find my dental floss or whatever, and when I called to ask what had happened, they said, well, we train all of our cleaners to make your house ready for a magazine shoot. Wow. Sure you, my apartment is not going to under <laughs> anytime soon. But so it is, there is a very different emphasis on appearance. Uh-huh. Wow, that's really radical. I, I, yeah. I, that was the last thing I would expect to hear when I called my cleaning service for them to, <laughs> to say to me. Um, and uh, also, uh, you know, we're talking about wine in South, but uh, I want to go completely different since we're uh, we're chatting in the middle of December. Uh, last night I took part. I saw you mention it on Twitter. It got your uh, it, it raised got your attention. I was I was one of the organizers of the Nog Crawl here in Seattle. Oh. It was pretty awesome. We uh, started at Rob Roy, and we had a uh, 
a barrel-aged nog made with porter. Porter was involved. And then wow. we went to Sun Liquor and had more of a traditional but f- full of frothy goodness uh, nog. And then we ended up at Barrio with um, a, uh, let's see, Añejo Tequila Horchata barrel-aged nog. Nice. And I saw you just did recently a um, uh, an eggnog tasting. Uh, how was that? It was a lot of fun. I mean, and part of the reason it had interested me, and I, I had referenced this in sort of a sidebar, is that it has not taken off here the way it has in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and so in this tasting, we were focusing on the grocery store brands, which I think a lot of people is what they end up with at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are, I think there's maybe one cocktail bar here that does it, but you have to remember it was 70 degrees this week. Like we're in a totally different world here. Yeah, that's so, what I was going to say. Uh, yeah. Weather, weather in last night, it was like foggy, like looking through your eggnog glass. You couldn't see anything. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was grim and misty and it was, yeah, ideal nog weather. That's really interesting too. I mean, what's, uh, you know, like when I think about December eating, I think a lot of, you know, very hearty stews and, and, and deep, rich, dark wines. I mean, how do you adjust to, uh, uh, it's December and it's 70 degrees and I'm guessing maybe there's some humidity and you might even see sun. Right. Absolutely. So I think there are two answers to that. One is that, you know, and it's always 70 degrees, as soon as it gets to 68 degrees, you're like, let's make the chili. You know, I mean, all of a sudden 68 seems very, very cold. But secondly, um, you know, you think about what's on the calendar and Charleston is really a party oriented city and doesn't mind drinking sparkling wine at any time. So that really that's the December drink here. Um, and I imagine will be the January and the February drink. There's always something to celebrate in Charleston. Yeah. Um, well, that sounds I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of eggnog, but I think uh, the amount of uh, half and half and egg yolks I, I consumed last night is uh, I, I'd probably I'm probably better served by drinking sparkling wine in December. Exactly. Right. Right. So what are some of the um, what are some of the highlights of, of food that you've eaten since you've been to Charleston? Um, gosh, I mean, there's some great, great food here, as I feel like, you know, everybody knows. Uh, and it, to, to the point where I almost feel badly talking, because I feel like we're getting so overexposed. But, um, yeah, I mean, high end, fabulous food. Um, but of course, you know, what's often most interesting to me is what reflects sort of the indigenous culture. So, um, you know, I had not appreciated till I got here how important rice remains in the low country. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been great. And it's, it's really great to watch the high-end chefs play with that as well. I think both Mike Lotta and um, Sean Brock do like a rice pudding. Like rice is just, uh, it's huge here, huge. Um, like total, you know, aisles devoted to it at the grocery store. So that's been really fun. Um, and getting a red rice, which was, I mean, uh, a dish I barely knew until I got here. So that's been great. Um, I don't even know. What is red rice? So red rice is basically just a tomato-based rice, and I'm sure it's, you know, related to all those other kind of tomato-y rice dishes. In fact, um, I ended up making something like it last night for an office potluck, and I was like, uh, you know, I mean, it's basically, I was like, oh, I just made paella. I mean, it could be anything, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. It's rice and tomatoes. It's like a rice Uh cooked in a broth. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but there's I mean, a much more, stuck. there's a much better way to describe it than that. I probably, yeah, I, guess, I, I, mean, I just massacred it. That's right, yeah, no, no, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm still figuring out as well. But it's like the rice is so respected. Like you know, just to say red rice, I almost feel like in our culture it sounds like it just sounds like such a side dish. It sounds like you know, sort of a secondary thing. Um, 
but it's more comparable. I mean, they really treat the rice more like, you know, pasta in Italian culture. It's really more comparable to like, a, you know, like a great pasta dish. It's, it's pretty cool. It's yeah, stuff. it sounds good. Um, uh, another thing we kind of chatted about recently, I forwarded you an article. I'm a big fan of Madeira, and there was a really cool article about the history of Madeira and um, uh, and Charleston too. Um, are there are you seeing a lot of people, um, you know, drinking Madeira or putting Madeira in cocktails or anything like that? Is that happening? Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of Madeira here. Um, I think you could you'd have to go pretty far down the dive bar scale to find a place that doesn't serve Madeira here. Wow, that's, um, that's really surprising. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it really is like, it's like Shinerbach in Texas. I mean, it's really sort of become like a patriotic thing for folks here to drink. Um, and it's delicious. I mean, and part of that is because the Rare Wine Company did come out with a, you know, Charleston Madeira. Oh, okay. Ago. Um, and so I'm sure that was part of the uh, the popularity. But yeah, it's everywhere. Dear Rare Wine Company, I'm, I'm patiently waiting for my uh, Seattle. <laughs> You know, there's, there is a style of rainwater or Madeira called rainwater. I mean, you've got, right. to, you've got to come out with something from Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll uh, lobby the rare wine company for that. <laughs> for me, the thing that I really like about Madeira, well, also, I mean, the story, the history, uh, as far as, you know, founding fathers signing, like, the Declaration of Independence and drinking Madeira, and everyone drank Madeira. It, it sort of boggles my mind to think about, well, I guess, of course, it was a matter of preservation. I mean, people didn't have, like, oh, I'll drink a Verdejo from Spain, and it'll come all the way from Spain, and I'll be in uh, South Carolina, and it'll be fresh and sealed with a screw cap and a refrigerated <laughs> compartment, you know. That didn't happen, but um, what I love about it is that uh, even though it's sweet, and there are drier ones, it's not like a cloying sweetness. It's got a lot of acidity and zip, and uh, you know I like drinking it. Uh, I could drink it chilled in the even though, you know in the summer outside on a porch. I wouldn't have any problem with that. I think it's really uh, it's really fantastically delicious. Yeah, and it goes with a ton of foods. I mean, you can obviously it shows up on the dessert course traditionally or with cheese. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal with a lot of cheeses, but. It, it, it can work with food as well. Madeira is really more versatile, I think, than people give it credit for. Yeah, I think that's something, you know, I got to uh, interview um, uh, uh, a guy from the Blandy family who, you know, is a big <laughs> famous Madeira house. And you know, he was throwing out things like, you know, steak and sushi and all these kinds of crazy things. And um, that's definitely something that I want to do is uh, try and experiment with Madeira and more um, uh, savory combinations besides cheese, you know. Yeah, because I think, I mean, my understanding is that, you know, when it was the mainstay drink, it would show up way before dessert. I mean, I think that's traditionally how it was used. I think there were like oceans of it showing up yeah. from dusk yeah. till dawn exactly. <laughs> or dawn till dusk or both. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's uh, and then also what I love about Madeira is um, it's probably my of all my like dream wine destinations. I'm really fascinated with it because it's this island that's like a thousand miles off the coast of Portugal and I think about, about 500 miles north of uh, Africa, which, which certainly part of it explains how it, you know, it would voyage to the, the colonies in the young United States. But um, it's just, it's such a, you know, anomaly is, I think does a dis disservice to, you know, the, the tradition and the uh, amazingness and deliciousness of it. But um, it's just such a, it's like Santorini. It's like, you just can't believe there's this wine culture on this island and what it takes for it to struggle and survive and not die out. Right. And I think in some ways that probably really resonates with Charleston culturally, because I think there is a sense here that we are an oasis. I mean, whether or not that's fair to the rest of the great state of South Carolina, I think there is that sense that like, oh, how did this happen? You know, 
yeah, I think there are some similarities there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, there's a much deeper, you know, the history of Seattle versus the history of, you know, any place on the, on the East Coast is, um, you know, sort of pales, pales in comparison. Well, yeah. Not, not actually the events, but just uh, from a time wise, you know. Right, 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 right. Just, you know, South Carolina was a state a long time before uh, Washington was. So it's just, um, you know, just, uh, it's just a fact of time. Absolutely. But I do think, I mean, Charlestonians have always had this sense of superiority, you know, and so that's what made me think, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the island of Europe, I think there is that sort of connection, like, you know, we are this oasis of culture, this oasis of producing tremendously, you know, aesthetically pleasing goods. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're listening to Wine Without Worry. My guest is Hannah Raskin. She's the food writer and critic for the Charleston, South Carolina, Post and Courier. Uh, You can read what she's up to at postandcourier.com. And coming up, I'm going to talk about a book that Hannah wrote that I think uh, will be very useful for anyone who eats out at restaurants, uh, thinks about it, wants to write about it, and, and more. So we're going to chat about that coming up. So Hannah, I read a book that you wrote. It's called Yelp Help, and it's a guide for people uh, who are writing about restaurants on Yelp to think more critically. And and when I say critically, I don't mean you know like like this was this uh, pot roast was an affront to my grandmother and all of my relatives, but more like thinking you know what thinking critically truly means. Well, really, basically like thinking before you write, and a lot of that. Can you can you tell me about uh, how you I came with the idea of like, I want to write this book to help people uh, communicate better on Yelp. So it's more useful for all of us. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it came to me because I use Yelp in my job and I think a lot of food critics do. I mean, when you're in a city the size of Seattle, there's not a chance you're going to get to every new restaurant or even know about every new restaurant. I mean, you're talking about a really gargantuan metropolitan area. Um, And so, you know, I got in the habit as many critics do of saying like, Okay, Renton, Thai food, you know, and you would pull up just about everything. And reading through these reviews, it's like, gosh, you know, these people have made a point to go to these restaurants. And, you know, they're probably really interested in the food, but what they're reporting back is really lacking in terms of documentation. And even more so, it made me concerned that they weren't getting as much out of the experience as they might. Um, Because I really do feel, as I say in the book, that learning to you know, appreciate and analyze your food is really a huge part of appreciating your restaurant experience. Yeah. And I think if you want to, I mean, whether it's Yelp or any, you know, online site where people are are sharing opinions, you want what you want. If I'm or you are looking at it and someone says, um, you know, these meatballs are the most amazing meatballs I've ever eaten. OMG, they are incredible. Uh, I'll die if I don't eat them again. And then you have sort of the, uh, like, I will never go back here again. You have all these extremes, you know, lots of, uh, I mean, I'm guilty of, of, you know, overly enthusiastic about things and exclamation points when I write. But um, it's sort of like, it seems like there's like, where's the, the middle ground where there's something kind of reasoned, like, you know, like, well, what were your grandmother's meatballs like? Or why, um, w- what was it about the meatballs? Just, you know, like, can you, can you give me something here? Or should I just be like, oh, that you said they were amazing. I don't know who you are, but like, I'm going to go in and, and get them. You know, it's like, like right. it's not all a context. Exactly. It's all about context. I certainly recognize that if you're not a regular Yelper, and a lot of people aren't, that what drove you online was probably something that was really incredible or really awful. And so I understand that emotions are high, but without context, the information you're delivering is 
you know, pretty worthless. So what's, uh, what's just give me or my listeners, like what's one strategy about one aspect of, okay, I'm going to, I just ate at a restaurant, I had dinner there and I'm going to write about it. What are, what are like, what's a, what's a, actually let's do this. What's a pitfall to avoid? Um, one of the big pitfalls to avoid is, you know, falling in this trap of making this long narrative about your entire evening, um, which probably wouldn't even interest your friends, let alone people who don't know you. Um, so the most important thing is, is to pick out what really sticks with you. Not, I talked to the host, I walked to the bathroom, I hung up my coat, but to really find just a couple of things that to you embodied the whole evening. You know, if you thought the service was great, just tell us about, you know, that server that, you know, knew the wine list and was able to hook you up with a Chenin Blanc that you never considered. I mean, that's so much more telling an anecdote than uh, the windows needed to be cleaned, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, rather than taking it blow by blow, focus on the things that really matter. Yeah, I think, you know, that's something that uh, I, as a wine writer, and, you know, I write about food too, but, you know, like, this rosé was delicious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that's great. But, you know, like, maybe for me, like trying to be a little bit more evocative or specific, like this rosé was delicious when I ate it with shrimp. It's great with seafood or um, this rosé was great. I, it made me wish I was outside somewhere eating it and enjoying it and, you know, with ocean breezes wafting across <laughs> me, it, it, you know, sort of like a. I guess trying to, you know, paint a picture of someone who can be like, I'm not eating this, but I want to, or drinking this, but I want to feel like, you know, I want to feel something. That That's hugely helpful, right? I mean, sometimes it can be really hard to describe what something tastes like. Some things have very unique tastes. I mean, I deal with that here where like, and you do in Seattle as well, like oysters are huge, right? And how do you describe an oyster? I mean, it's, it's like a wine, you know, an oyster is a very specific taste. And you can talk about the ocean, you can talk about minerals, but an oyster is an oyster. But if you talk about how it made you feel, sometimes that takes you into territory that's really recognizable to people and really relatable. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's like mineral is like, in, speaking of oysters, I guess in the wine world, that say like mm-hmm. people are always like, oh, this wine, this white wine is so much minerality. It's got tons of minerality. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know what that means. Like what what are or ta- like tastes of minerals or like, well, what do minerals smell like? I mean, uh, I minerals are like, there are many minerals in the world. I, I don't I'm get sure. it. I can't. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. Right. Yeah, a geologist right. would be like. No geologist probably subscribes to uh, the wine spectator reads wine blind. No, their, their just no, head would explode. Maybe, that, maybe. I wonder if geologists like to drink minerally wines. Like, are they really into that? Like, oh, this is so Ignatius. Like, it's <laughs> I not- love that. I'm writing that down. I'll, I, uh, <laughs> I would love to. Maybe I should for a post. I should uh, do a wine tasting with geologists and that give would them. Be awesome. Give them all the min- the most minerally wines possible, right. and have right. them. Uh, that's genius. Of course, I will give you full credit for this idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're recording it. Uh, edit out this part where Hannah has this amazing idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's really hard too. Um, you know that, and that's the thing about writing about. Like you said, it's like it's hard to describe flavors and tastes, just like in wine. Oh, it's you know, it's like got aromas of strawberries and, and blueberries and or blueberries versus boysenberries. And I'm like, really, do you discern, um, you know, like nuance or how like not fresh berries, but like, uh, uh, you know, like sautéed berries or it, it's it gets it gets so crazy and esoteric. And I just don't know. I, I, I like to be for me. I like to be more experiential. I mean, food is a lot different because, you know, people everyone eats food. And this is shocking. 
but not everyone drinks wine, and I think there's more baggage with that. So for me, when I talk about wine, I just, like I said, I want to kind of relate a moment rather than just club people with toasty oak and, you know, malolactic. Absolutely. But I think that's useful in food as well. I mean, because if I say something's too salty, which may be the case, I mean, you don't know if I'm talking about, you know, teriyaki or corned beef. I mean, salty doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Um, so I find that, you know, plugging into people's experiences is often the best way to, to convey what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And salty can also be, I mean, uh, a, um, a good thing. And it can also be a, a bad thing. Like, like I love the salty tang of, you know, this or versus like, oh, this had so much. It was like a salt lick, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right, right. What else? Uh, so uh, we t- mentioned a pitfall, but what's uh, what's a sort of a, an activity? You know, I walk into a restaurant. I'm thinking, gee, I'd like to review this for Yelp. I'm like such a big Yelper. What's a good thing to do? What, like I just sit down. I haven't even had any food in front of me yet. What should I what's a good thing for me to do while I'm sitting there waiting for my water and menus? Um. I would think, you know, that's a great time to kind of get out of your own head, to kind of put your mood behind you. I think we recognize that we all bring, you know, a different mood to the table with us. And often if you've been at work all day, it's kind of a crummy one. So I think that's a great time while you're sitting there just to think, you know what, I'm putting that aside. And, you know, I'm here to enjoy and absorb this experience. And I, I always enter restaurants with that optimistic mindset. Like, I'm here to enjoy this. Um, not to find everything that could possibly go wrong. And I think at the other end of the meal, the important thing is not to rush home and write it up, you know, mm. sleep on it, literally. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a that's a good point about, you know, about food and wine. It's just that uh, I don't think any of us, I mean, we don't have, I don't go in when like someone sends me a wine or puts a wine in front of me or puts a plate in front of you. I'm not like thinking like, man, I've got this huge ax and I've been grinding it and I'm just going to go to town and I'm going to lay waste to everything. Really, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm different, maybe we're cut from the same cloth, but I, I enter everything, you know, optimistic, like, you know, know, with a wine, it's like, it's like a wine label or a restaurant in a strip mall. You know, you're like, oh, you know, the strip mall restaurant and, and or maybe I get some kind of garish wine label. I'm like, oh, God, you know, this doesn't bode well. But, you know, you mean, I mean, how many I'm sure there are wonderful restaurants that just happen to be in a strip mall. They're not some charming bistro in an old, you know, craftsman home or something like that. And they happen to have, you know, fantastic food and just like this wine label, like, you know, I don't know about this. It's nondescript maybe or, or, or a little garish or a little cloying or corny, but it turns out to be something really well-made and enjoyable. So you try and kind of, um, you know, I mean, to be totally cliched, you know, like leave that stuff at the door. Right, right, right. Now, I feel like I've asked you this before, but it came up again recently and I couldn't remember your answer, which is when you're in one of those restaurants that, you know, isn't putting a lot of emphasis on wine. I think I've told you this, that oftentimes my strategy is to say, just bring me whatever you've opened most recently. Uh-huh. Because, uh-huh. um, yeah, because to me, I mean, I'd rather have it be fresh. I mean, wine obviously has come a long way in this country. And so, you know, as long as it's pretty fresh, I might do kind of all right. Uh-huh. Um, my husband thinks that's a really offensive thing to say. And I'm wondering about your, your uh, opinion. I, I think that's – I've never heard anyone say that. Um, I, well, I, I just think it's sort of like playing roulette because um, – yeah. The, the the most recent thing that's open might be something that that yes it's it's freshly open but it's um sort of like the the least pleasant thing on the list and also there are some wines where um 
you know, and when it's by the glass, no one's serving like a, you know, like a, a like a two hundred dollar Bordeaux that needs to be decanted and things like that. But there are still some wines by the glass that that like any wine that will i mean oxygen reacts with wine you know whether it's five dollars or five hundred dollars so and a lot of times it can be especially with red wines it can be beneficial if, it, if it's been open for a few hours and sometimes frankly you know even even a day as long as it's not you know sitting next to the the hood in the kitchen overnight mm-hmm. or something like that so um yeah it's sort of a peculiar thing to say um <laughs> I, I i i'll be uh sort of um a little little bit tepid about it uh yeah. i just think i would rather say you know, um, I actually got to uh, talk to Michael Mandavi on a show a few shows back, and he says uh, he likes to say, um, "What do you like? What what excites you? You know, uh, what did you drink last on this list?" And and that also is a, a kind of a strategy. I mean, this, he's not thinking it strategically in that way, but how much do people? You know, when you say like, "What do you like?" Um, and when there's like, "Oh, everything's great," you know, or "Oh, all our wines are great." You know, I want them to say, you know what? I I drank the Cote d'Aron. Uh, I took a bottle home of this Cote d'Aron, and I thought it was really great and and fun and tasty. At the end, you know, versus like, oh, I don't know, or everything's great, or uh, I like the Cabernet. Well, what do you, you know, not to be accusatory, but well, what do you like about it? Michael Mondavi said it in a much more eloquent way than than I can. So go go listen to that show, everybody. But um, uh, I I sort of I like that too. Well, it's like, um, I guess that's sort of a similar thing that that we do is. I mean, do you ask people, um, uh, what do you like? And is that sort of, I mean, a part of it, I'm sure, is that we're both really curious. Like, like I don't know, I'm a little indecisive. I really that really want to know what you think is is good. And uh, it doesn't mean that everything else sucks, but just like, uh, you know, I'm indecisive. Throw me a bone or, or, or charm me with something, you know? Yeah, I, I tend to do that a lot. I mean, I think when we're talking about the restaurants where I ask for just what's ever been open recently, I mean... I doubt Mondavi even gets to these kind of restaurants. I mean, again, we're back to like see Jack Fridays at the Atlanta airport. I mean, that's, that's, that's true. Actually, you know what? That's actually, if you're at the Atlanta airport, yeah. TGI Fridays or a place yeah. like that where there's not going to be um, like hidden gems in the glass pour list or, or something that's going to be wildly uh, like a, a super lightweight pale red versus a powerhouse red, they're all going to probably have a similar spectrum. That's actually uh, okay. Now I'm now with the context. That's actually not a bad idea. I think that okay. go with go with go with what's fresh. Right. That's what I think. So yeah, I'm talking about those kind of places. I mean, I think it, yeah. I mean, the kind of places where your choices are red or white, basically. Yeah, you know, yeah. we have um, kinds red and white. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, right. And if I ask that guy what he was enjoying, I mean, it's going to be oh, God. yeah. He'd I mean, like, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm 17. I, I don't even. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I think working the way up the scale. Yeah. In fact, if anything, I think I'm guilty of probably deferring a little too much to my servers, um, and saying like, what are you excited about? And, you know, sometimes our tastes are not in alignment, you know, and I don't really spend a lot of time necessarily trying to figure that out beforehand. You know, I can really be swept up in their passion. I assume because they work in restaurants and I used to work in restaurants, like they must be really into it. And so that's fine. I mean, and if they are that into it, it generally is a good experience. It may not be the wine I loved, but it usually works out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of if you're like with food or wine, if you say, you know, I'm looking for something light and fresh. You know, like I wouldn't recommend a, a, a Napa Cab or as a 
as a server, I wouldn't say, oh, try the, you know, the, the brisket or the pot roast or the pork belly or something like that. You know, you, you obviously have to, uh, well, I think it's a, it's a, what's your favorite thing? You know, if there's a little give and take, well, um, kind of, well, what are you in the mood for? Well, I'm versed in, um, everything from, you know, fish to meat, to game, to salads, to soups and all that. And just with mm-hmm. wine too, it's nice to know that, um, when you're dealing with somebody in a restaurant that they can gauge what your interest is and, um, recommend something, whether it's in your glass or on your plate accordingly. Um, and, um, one more thing I want to ask you about is, um, what do you, uh, so I'm still here in Seattle. Uh, what are you, uh, what are you really missing in Seattle? If I could bring you anything food wise and like, well, let's say teleport it. So it'd be at the peak of its freshness, (laughs) freshly constructed. I wouldn't bring it on the plane. What, what are you, uh, what are you really missing from here? Oh my gosh. Uh, It's all going to be in the Asian food category Uh because we have none of that. And so apparently we're getting our first bubble tea shop this month, which I am extremely excited about. That's something I miss. Um, Wow. Yeah. If I could be there right now. um, Let's see. You know, there's a beef noodle soup at uh, Szechuan Gourmet Noodle Bowl. What is Oh, I love Gourmet Noodle Bowl. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I could go for a little of that. You know, it's 68 degrees. It's a little cold. Yeah. So, yeah. What that about banh mi? Is there, is there any banh mi in Charleston? It's funny you ask. I actually live directly above a banh mi shop. Wow, awesome. Did that yeah. did that play any role in um, where you live? Well, you know, it's really funny. I don't remember it being so, but, but um, apparently, so I, I'm living with a roommate who I found through Craigslist, and apparently she wrote a lot about food in the posting, um, which... You know, it must have been subconscious, but yeah. Wow, I, I would like to live above a banh mi shop. Yeah, it's, my bedroom smells like lemongrass all the time. I love that. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, pretty nice. Well, Hannah, thanks for chatting with me. Um, I encourage everyone to go to Amazon and search for Yelp Help and buy yourself a copy. Um, I felt, you know, when I read it, I felt that, yeah, this is good for people who uh, are interested in Yelp and communicating better on Yelp. But I really think for anyone who uh, uh, is aspiring to write about food or wine or really anything, that it has some uh, good exercises in there, too. And when I say exercises, I really mean exercises. I think as as writers, as food writers and wine writers, we just kind of like, okay, time to write. But it's really uh, helpful to kind of, you know you know, just like, you know, working out, you know, to have specific kind of tasks and try and complete them. And I think it just makes you a a better writer, a more thoughtful writer. So I, I will encourage anyone out there listening that Yelp help is not just for, uh, uh, for people on Yelp or people using Yelp or just, you know, uh, food enthusiasts. It's got a, I think it's got a much more uh, broader appeal than that. So go to Amazon, buy a couple uh, dozen copies of that, and check out uh, her writing at the Post and Courier, the Charleston Post and Courier at postandcourier.com. And Hannah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jameson. This is great.